What is the hope for the future of the DCEU? On today's Byword, Dave and I will posit our three biggest ideas that we hope to see from Warner and Company moving forward. So grab your power ring and your batarang because the Byword begins now. Greetings and salutations once more, our good nerdy siblings. In steep anticipation of next week's review of James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, we are casting our lures, which are laden with our greatest hopes for the DC film universe going forward. But first, let's tackle some... Because Dave has an interesting development with his favorite Marvel superhero. Yeah, it is no secret that uh, I do enjoy me some Marvel occasionally, Spider-Man, Captain Marvel. But the one that has really stolen my heart over the last few years is, of course, the inhuman Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel. Uh, and seeing that she is soon to have a live-action miniseries leading into a new theatrical outing that will feature her, Monica Rambeau, and, of course, Captain Marvel herself, the Marvels, I have been extremely excited to see how the live action version will shake out. Now the good news Now the good news of course is that uh, the casting so far has looked extremely good. Uh, all the cast uh, seems to be shaping up quite nicely. Um including, of course, uh, Iman Vellani, who was cast in the lead role of Kamala Khan, and who seems to really embody that character very well. There have also, of course, been photos leaked from filming that show the costume, which is extremely faithful to the comic books. So my hopes were high. Now, a recent promo image released uh, of Miss Marvel herself for the live-action Disney Plus miniseries, has some fans scratching their head. Because apparently, it seems that her powers have been changed for the Disney Plus series. So in the comic books, uh, Kamala Khan's powers are a little bit reminiscent of those of Reed Richards. She has sort of these stretchy powers and can uh, change her body's shape and size, which is, of course, where her uh, sort of catchphrase, embiggen, comes from. Uh, in this particular promo image, though, it appears that she has some kind of energy-based fist, a purple energy that seems to be coming from her gauntlet, which is very, very different. And some fans have already compared it to, you know, a Green Lantern's power ring. Now, if these rumors based, of course, on this promo image are to be believed, then they have made some significant changes to Kamala Khan's powers, uh, which kind of leads me to conclude there may be some changes to her background. They might have gotten rid of her connection to the Inhumans. Um, and I don't know why they would change her powers, though, unless they're worried that there will be comparisons drawn to perhaps uh, Mr. Fantastic once the Fantastic Four come along, although that seems silly. Um, I just, the, the whole thing is very, very odd to me. And I'm not sure if I like the notion of her power set being so radically changed. Uh, of course, there are always adjustments that happen to characters when they are translated to live action. But it seems odd to so radically change a superhero's power set in their translation to live action. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, this is a weird one. I mean, um, we're so starved for content uh, and, and so looking forward. I mean, we can't even get a whisper of the uh, Far From Home trailer, but uh, so we're kind of collectively losing our minds over this promo image. Yeah, it, it almost looks like a crystallized purple like encasing over her fist. So I don't know if this is like their visualization of Enbiggen uh, or something, or like the, the, when she makes like the big fists uh, in the comics and video games. So I'm, I'm not sure what's going on here. I absolutely adore the character. I adore the costume that we've seen so far. Like you said, it's very, very accurate to the costumes in a really cool and sleek way. Um, 
but um, so, so I'm not exactly sure what they're going on. If 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 the MCU is trying to move away from the Inhuman origins, I can't say that I blame them. Um, you know, based on what we've seen from the the atrocious atrocious ABC show, um, the Inhumans versus X Men. Uh, storyline still rubs me pretty raw, leaves me uh, still pretty PTSD about how awful that that event was. Are you so, chafed from all that raw rubbing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I think uh, Kamala is the only inhuman I give a darn about, and I I adore her. Like I said, she is an inspirational figure for my kids. Um, my my four year old runs around says uh, I'm you know saying that she's Ms Marvel and she's like super girly girl. I never you know anticipated that she would be into nerdy stuff like that. But Kamala Khan is her favorite superhero, and you know so of course when when Daddy picked out the Christmas presents, uh, she was uh, of course got a Kamala Khan uh, Barbie doll. So um, but I I'm I'm so excited for this. I don't know what to make of this image. Maybe it's much ado about nothing. I mean, we've tripped out about trailers and stuff before, and it was just nothing. So that's what I'm hoping this is. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And, you know, um, having read pretty much every appearance of Kamala Khan, I mean, I, I really binged through her all her solo series and her appearance in various other books, including Champions. Um, the one thing I think I really will miss if they decide to sort of quote-unquote delete the inhuman connection is just any scene that she's ever shared with Lockjaw because that is some of the absolute mm-hmm. most adorable, yep. cute stuff that you will ever see. And seeing that in live action would have been a real dream come true, I think. We can just give her Lockjaw. Like the rest of the Inhumans, they're okay. But I mean, I what I need to see on the screen, this is this is my wish list. I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's MCU. I need her and Miles and Lockjaw in like this buddy cop Turner and Hooch style stuff. Give me a season full of that. That's what I need. Oh, I'd be totally there for that. That would be a ton of fun. All right, Chris. So uh, apparently we need to talk about some podcast competition. (laughs) Can we compete with Batman? I don't know, but it's weird because you've got a Marvel story. I've got a DC story. What the hell is going on here? Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, HBO Max will be adding to their exclusive podcast library this fall. Actor Jeffrey Wright uh, is set to star as none other than the Cape Crusader in Batman The Audio Adventures, according to a Variety report. Wright is also uh, portraying iconic Bats supporting character Commissioner Jim Gordon in Matt Reeves' upcoming film, The Batman, and will be lending his vocal talents on the other side uh, as Uatu the Watcher in Marvel's What If, which uh, debuts on Disney Plus on August the 11th, which is already established to be the best day of the year. It's my birthday. Uh, Happy birthday to me. Uh, the cast for audio adventures of, of Batman, however, is loaded with talent. Dave, you're going to love this. Rosario Dawson will portray Catwoman, and John Leguizamo, one of my all-time favorites, is going to voice the Riddler. Uh, according to Todd Spangler's Variety piece that I read, the series will draw inspiration from multiple sources from Batman history, including our fave Batman the Animated Series, the classic Batman television series from the 60s, as well as the entire print history of Batman, which spans more than eight decades. It seems like they're really going to dig into that detective noir uh, vibe here. Dave, so for me, this screams old school detective radio program, uh, and I could not be more excited, but what say you? Oh, gosh, you you really hit a nerve on me there. I don't think I've ever really had a chance to talk about this on the pod before. But I went through a phase of a borderline unhealthy obsession with old time radio dramas. I mean, anything from the 30s, 40s and 50s, the golden age of radio, I was all about. I'm talking, you know, the audio gun smoke. Um, the Shadow, which I absolutely adored. Uh, I, you know, any horror and anthology audio series that I could get a hold of, early science fiction anthology audio series. I am absolutely obsessed with fiction audio shows. And the fact that the podcasting era is ha- helping these sort of make a comeback, I'm, I'm just absolutely over the moon about that. Um, it, it's a very special kind of production to tell you know stories like a Batman story in audio format and the tricks you have to employ to make it believable. 
I'm absolutely over the moon about this casting as well. Rosario Dawson in particular. I mean, she seems to have like this perfect voice for a character like Catwoman. I am very, very, very excited about this production, Chris. Yeah, and I can't say enough about Jeffrey Wright. I freaking love um, everything that he is in. Um, And I had no idea that they were things like this. I didn't know HBO Max had um you know exclusive podcasts like i didn't know that as an hbo max subscriber through my at&t plan uh that's covered so that's not one that i have to shill money out for uh necessarily so i there are a bunch of hbo max podcasts there's a lovecraft country podcast that i totally missed out on after they canceled my baby so i'm gonna have to go back and revisit that um this is a whole new world for me i think audible even I may have to subscribe to Audible. There's a there's a Sandman one and in prep for the new show that that has like James McAvoy uh, as Morbius that I really need to check out. Uh, I, I'm just I had no idea. There's so much great content out here that this stuff just passed me by. And I'm, I am going to have to binge all this stuff. Yeah, I'm right there with you. There is a lot of stuff content wise, especially in the audio realm that will pass you by fairly quickly. We are sort of in a in a golden age of content production in a lot of ways. There's so much good stuff out there now. And having to be selective with your time, you know, sometimes you're really missing out on good stuff. It's really funny how both of us are kind of old souls like that. I remember like back in the early aughts when I was in middle school creating like mixed CDs of, you know, popular music at the time. So like I was probably the only kid in school who would have like Nelly's country grammar mixed with like the Beach Boys because I would you know spend a lot of time with my grandmother listening listen to the oldie station so uh, I'm right there with you as being like this old soul and like the idea of this like retro radio program is just so enticing to me yeah exactly all right that wraps up nerd news for this week what do you think about this Kamala Khan news what do you think about uh, Jeffrey Wright playing the Caped Crusader himself Hit us up on social media at NerdByWord on Twitter and Instagram or individually at ThatNerdDave and ThatNerdChris. But when we come back from this, our first break, we are going to be sharing our greatest hopes for what the uh, DC Cinematic Universe will hold in the very near future. Stick around. All right, we are back and... We are now here for the main entree of this week's program, our patented This week we are coming at you with three big hopes for what the DC EU, that is still a mouthful, what the DC live action film universe, what we want to see. It has been very well documented. Uh, Our thoughts on recent DC films uh, for an extensive review uh, and collection of our thoughts on Zack Snyder's Justice League. Be sure to check uh, our archives for that episode. It wasn't four hours. Spoiler. Um, but we want to be positive and we want to march onward. So Dave, we each came with three things that we are hoping to have going forward. And I could have written your first point. I knew it was coming. Well, you know, I am a huge fan of Superman. He is my all time favorite comic book character. I have a strong affinity. I think we've had a sort of a rambling thing way early when we first started the podcast where I had to go on and on about how there's a misconception about people thinking that he's unrelatable and why I find, you know, his character so relatable and so important to comics. And really what I just want out of live action movies is I I just want a movie that captures the essence of Superman again, that really captures both the nuance of the character, but also the soul of the character. Now we can, you know, go back and forth about more recent outings, Man of Steel, uh, before that Superman Returns. Um, We can talk about the various television incarnations, uh, Tyler Hoechlin, most recently Dean Cain, you know, that, but really what it comes down to is that so many of these incarnations always have the same problem, and that is that they somehow try to find a new hook 
to this old character. They try to modernize him. They try to to change him in some way because they think that he is too old-fashioned, that he is not relevant anymore. And I think, especially in our day and age, somebody who stands for truth and justice the way Superman does, somebody who stands up for the little guy, somebody who speaks truth to power as a journalist, these sorts of things matter. And so many live-action interpretations completely miss the mark about even the tiniest, smallest things that make Superman Superman. For example, if we look at the most recent incarnation uh, portrayed by Henry Cavill, now the acting cannot be faulted here. Uh, the writing, obviously, is, and we've, I've said this many times before, um, there is a duality that should exist uh, between Superman and Clark Kent, for example, that goes beyond a pair of glasses. And I was recently on social media on a bit of a you know rant about that but there are so many things that go into that you know the the slouching as clark kent wearing clothes that are too big um changing the hairstyle all these things are extremely important for the disguise but most live action incarnations slap a pair of glasses on him and they move on and a that's not a real challenge to an actor and b it's just not true to the character it's all these little nuances that keep getting lost in an attempt to to make Superman hip, to, to modernize him. And maybe I sound like just an old man at this point, but to perfectly see the kind of acting it takes, the kind of writing it takes to portray that kind of duality, for example, is... Uh, the first Superman movie with with Chris Reeve. There's this wonderful moment where Clark Kent goes to pick up Lois Lane, and there's a moment where he's playing with the idea of revealing his secret to her, and he takes off his glasses, and his voice changes, and he's, his posture changes. And it's just such a brief moment. The whole thing lasts like 10 seconds. But it so perfectly captures a, an essential part of Superman that goes ignored. And so many recent interpretations do exactly that again and again. They keep ignoring the things that make Superman distinctively Superman in an attempt to make him hip somehow. When Superman, classic Superman, the character he is and always has been, has never been more relevant and, to my mind, never been more cool or more important. So why can't we just get one DCEU movie that has Superman be Superman, Chris. Yeah, and I, it's funny because, you know, when I see things like this, or when I came up with this topic, I felt like this was this was like almost like a, a real bait, and uh, like a, this is really tempting for you. So it's, it's it's funny because every time we come to the subject of Superman, I feel like that meme of Charlie Day from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where he's got like his conspiracy theories all over the wall. That's you talking about Superman. But I I wholeheartedly agree. It, we have missed out on the character, and you know I think. It's a blessing and a curse, the success of the MCU and the popularity of it um, when it comes to the DCEU. I think um, in a lot of ways they were trying to play catch up and they rushed a lot of stuff. And by doing so, kind of one of the the casualties of that is they left the intricacies and the nuances of the characters of that universe by the wayside in, in order to get them in immediately into a team up movie immediately into uh, something like Batman versus Superman. And then into something like justice league. And, and we you didn't take the necessary time. And we've, we've touched on this subject before, so I don't want to beat it, you know, beat a dead horse, but um, it's very, a very simple solution in my mind because as long as I've been a reader of comic books and a consumer of nerd media, it has been clear as day that Superman is just Captain America in the DC universe. And, you know, Chris Evans turned in a series of films where he consistently was the same type of character, this upstanding truth and justice type of character. And even like the jokey nature around that, that's what happens when you take time to build the character with something like, you know, the first Avenger. But then you have individuals like Tony Stark, um, 
to play off of him or you have Natasha Romanoff to play off of him, but he is that constant kind of staunch kind of dry vanilla type of character, but it's the ingredients around him, the characters around him that provide like the flavor. And you can easily do that because even in my minimal reading of DC comics, Bruce Wayne, Batman absolutely provides that. There are characters in the DC universe, even if you go into the animated universe, that completely season Superman into where he can distinctly be himself. And that is brought out and that comes out and it shines based on his interactions with the individuals around him. So I think this is a really easy thing to do, but in the rush to keep up with the Joneses of these connected cinematic universes, uh, they made the wrong choices when it came to what they wanted to sacrifice. I mean, look, the starting point for any serious discussion for a writer who didn't come through comic books, if you're going to look at Superman and you're going to seriously try to write a Superman movie, the starting point should be read Grant Morrison's All-Star Superman. Yeah, uh, th that's the starting point. Yep. And then I would probably argue as much as, um, you know, we've kind of grown distasteful of some of his his later works. I think it's also fair to pick up uh, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale Superman for all seasons. These are the things that that define his character, that show him wonderfully. You know that moment that everybody has been raving about in the first episode of uh, Tyler Hoechlin's performance as Superman in his own series, when he says to that kid about his costume, thanks, my mom made it for me. That's ripped directly from uh, Superman for All Seasons. You know, these are the kinds of things. And if you want to look at the interplay between characters, you just need to look at certain comic book runs and things become incredibly apparent. There is a wonderful scene in a Batman Superman comic book where Superman gets shot with a kryptonite bullet and Batman is trying to remove it. And Superman cracks a joke. He's trying to lighten the mood. And Batman says, do me a favor, lose the humor. <laughs> and, and Clark says... Bruce, do me a favor. Go buy a sense of humor. Like that. Like that's their relationship. <laughs> that right there in the that's, I mean, that sounds like Steve Rogers and Tony Stark all over. I mean, it's right there. Yeah, and it's 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 exactly it's right there. I mean, fantastic writers have already done the heavy lifting. Just look at what they've done, pick the best things, and synthesize that into a good movie. But be true to the character for crying out loud. Yeah. And that and that taps into my next point or, or my first point. But just a just another thing on the the alter ego aspect of it all. Um, I, I don't want this to be lost. I totally get what you're saying because one of my favorite individuals uh, that I've ranted before on the show in popular culture is Zorro. Uh, I mean, it's the, literally the reason that I chose to study Spanish and, 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 and study the culture of the Spanish speaking world is because I saw the mask of Zorro when I was in the fifth grade and it completely changed my life. I thought that was the coolest character that I've ever seen. But if you read the original script, uh, The Curse of Cog Pastrano by Johnston McCulley, it's the exact thing. And, you know, maybe it's the chicken or the egg, which came first. It, it was right around the same time that you know, Siegel and Schuster created Superman that, that Johnston McCulley was writing this. Um, no one ever suspected that Don Diego de la Vega was Zorro because of how aloof he was and how bored he was by anything that was remotely swashbuckling, anything that was remotely, he would yawn when they would talk about Zorro. So much so he created and crafted this persona that would just eschew himself of any kind of suspicion. No one even posited the idea. And now Soro does have a mask, but it's just literally a thin black strip over his eyes. So, I mean, I totally get where you're coming from. And I think I even commented on that thread on social media. But if you missed out on that, like, it's been done before. Uh, masterfully crafted, you know, in, in previous iterations, like you said, with Superman the movie uh, and in the original Soro books. And, you know, there's a wonderful scene. Uh, I think it's from uh, John Byrne's Man of Steel miniseries uh, that came out after Crisis of Infinite Earths, where um, Lex Luthor hires like a computer expert to like calculate the likelihood of Superman's secret identity and who he might be if he has a secret identity. And the computer actually figures it out and says it's Clark Kent. And Lex Luthor loses it. 
And it's like, <laughs> there is no way that this guy is Superman. A person with that much power would never lower himself to play act like such a loser. Get out. You're fired. Your computer sucks. <laughs> and that is that is really the point of the Clark Kent persona. I think I could... I think I could go on and on about this, Chris, all day. I do think I want to hear your first point, though, at some point. <laughs> I'll just say really quickly, I buy Clark Kent selling his secret identity more than I do my favorite character in comics, Peter Parker. I'm telling you, that that Silver Age stuff where he just like disappears all the time and like is basically begging everyone to guess his secret identity, I buy it more from Superman than I do Spider-Man. Yeah, I absolutely hate when they're like, when people are like, oh, well, you know, it's just a pair of glasses. Everybody is an idiot for not figuring yeah. out Clark and Superman. Like, no, the, the Hollywood people are idiots for not portraying it properly. Yeah. All right, Chris, what is your first big hope for the DCEU going forward? So I was fascinated to see a new comic book that um, was adapting something that I'll touch on in my next point, but uh, the the very popular Justice League animated series and Justice League Unlimited, and they brought J.M. DeMatteis back to help write this. And it just like burned something in my brain thinking about this. And and you touched on it. We, we've, like the path has been laid for successful stories. People have been writing successful, well-regarded, highly acclaimed comic books for decades and we just continue, pardon my friends, to sh** on them for so long. I mean, how many more stories do we need to hear about Ed Brubaker being, you know, dismissed as the co-creator uh, of a character like the Winter Soldier? How many more times does Jim Starlin have to raise a stink so Marvel will put him in a cameo or give him some type of compensation uh, for creating co-creating Thanos? How many times do we have to talk about the Alan Dean Foster situation and they finally ponied up and paid some royalties? We have people who have 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 tried and proven method to tell these good stories. They literally have written the stories and we're hiring these jabronis or we're giving it all to one collective vision. And we've touched on this before, but we just have Jeff Johns, your the voice of uh, DC Comics. You're the only voice of DC Entertainment. And though they, they've kind of given their space to him based on some of his unfortunate uh, antics and his own personal belief system and his behaviors, but not near enough to where he's still a huge creative voice beyond their screen adaptations. Uh, you have individuals like J.M. DeMatteis. You have individuals like Jonathan Hickman, like Jerry Conway, like Ta-Nehisi Coates. Thankfully, he's being on to uh, been bring on to write this script for this new Superman film. Uh, they have shown you how to do it. Why in the world would you not bring more comic book writers of like the best-selling comics of all time? I think I would want to listen to them. Yeah, you know, I totally agree with that. And you make a really good point about Jeff Johns, um, something that I'm going to touch on a little bit later. Um, but that is, you know, there are fantastic comic book writers that have written fantastic comic books. You know, Marvel uh, does a decent enough job in some respects, at least, you know, using um, comic books as a basis for some of their stories, you know, there's very clearly a, a Winter Soldier storyline, there's an Infinity War, all of those things. Now, they obviously adjust these things to fit, you know, the MCU that they've created. But at the very least, they're using uh, comic books from various points in their history to try to inspire their stories. Like, I, I couldn't even tell you what in the world something like, like Man of Steel is based on. Or even Batman versus Superman. I mean, the, the, they've met many a times and they fought a couple of times too, but there isn't like a huge defining storyline. I would say most of the imagery that Zack Snyder lifted is probably from the, their fight in uh, The Dark Knight Returns, which is not exactly what I would call the best portrayal of those two characters, period. So yeah, well, why not lean on this vast library of fantastic stories and the writers who created them? It absolutely blows my mind. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, The Dark Knight Returns uh, that Frank Miller wrote, that was well into the history of those two characters, was it not? It's not the first time you want to see it, these two characters on screen together. No, so if I remember correctly, that uh, when it came out, it was postulated as like an... Uh, 
future tale like batman is an old man and he's coming out of retirement one final time basically that was sort of the the original pitch of that story so it takes place in the future and all that well of the future of the 1980s um but yeah that's, this was not a first meeting there were two people who'd known each other very well um batman has gotten even more gritty superman has become a stooge of the u.s government it just it doesn't even feel like the actual characters right th- their most iconic selves and and the more I, I think I've seen, you know, some video essays that are pretty poignant. It's not it doesn't um, it doesn't hold up as well as as some might lead you to think. Uh, there's some really unfortunate, you know, uh, you know, verbiage in The Dark Knight Returns. And it's something that we would definitely want to give an update to if we were to revisit. I think a lot of Frank Miller's work is like that. Uh, some of his uh, older stuff has a clear quality to it, but there's also usually some problematic stuff. He has a real tendency of making every woman a prostitute, including in Batman Year One, where he makes uh, Selina Kyle, Catwoman one. Um, so there are problems, uh, and those problems, I think, have exacerbated over years. His most recent work has been um, controversial, I think, is probably the right way to put it. All right, Dave, your next point is very, very interesting, especially considering uh, next week's episode. Batman. Batman, Batman, Batman. (laughs) Let's make a DC movie and put Batman in him. I think that'll work. Hey, let's make a Flash movie, but let's have at least two Batman in it. Can we maybe make a movie without Batman? I mean, the one thing, say what you will about the MCU, whether you like the tone, the jokiness, whatever, I don't care. The one thing that the MCU at least attempted to do was take lesser known properties, properties that are even outliers in in the world of comic books, and turn them into something. And Guardians of the Galaxy, I think, is the prime example of that. I mean, nobody knew what to expect from this movie. Even comic book fans were unsure what to expect from Mm -hmm. this movie. And it blew everybody away. So why can't you take some of your lesser known characters and paint on that canvas a little bit? The DC catalog is just as deep as the Marvel catalog. There are so many interesting, fantastic characters, even some of the lesser known ones. I would adore to see a very different kind of detective story with somebody like Elongated Man. Uh, you know, that would be fantastic. His his whole approach, the, the lighthearted mystery solving that was so prevalent in, you know, television, you know, with stuff like um, Murder, She Wrote and, and Diagnosis Murder back in the 80s. Uh, you, you take a, a, a tone like that, something that's a little more lighthearted and move away from the Batman thing, and you can still have a, a really cool, interesting detective story with a really underappreciated and underused character. And DC is littered with those. Like, like, and we're not even talking about like really off the beaten path. Like, who do I have to pay to get a a a Green Arrow Black Canary team up movie? Like, you cannot tell me that you can't make something like that work, or even a Black Canary solo movie. Like, why can't we make something like that work? It's because the corporate structure of Warner Brothers insists on the safe bet every time. They're completely risk averse, and if you're willing to take a risk, you will take a chance on a bonkers plastic man or or you will take a risk on elongated man or you will take a risk on a superhero time travel story with booster gold you know but there are no risks being taken to the point where a character who actually is very popular through the comics and through various animated series blue beetle can't even get a live action feature film he has to get an hbo max miniseries like why is that not happening on the big screen Because, again, Warner is completely risk-averse. And because of that, we will continue to not get a glimpse of a vast number of totally awesome, quote-unquote, lesser-known DC characters, Chris. It's, It's funny that you bring this up because the best thing that I think I've seen from a long for a long time from from DC entertainment has been Doom Patrol. And I mean, I dare you to find, you know, a more ragtag bunch uh, of characters than Doom Patrol. But like you said, it's just on HBO Max. And 
uh, it was uh, first on the DC Universe app and it was struggling just to get the nomenclature because it wasn't touted as this big thing. Like there was no big risk being taken. I mean, it is single handedly brought Brendan Fraser, thankfully, back to the forefront of Hollywood after he was so deeply wronged by, you know, everybody in Hollywood. So I'm here for it and I ride for it. I, I am so appalled and just embarrassed that one of the most important Latinx superheroes in Jaime Reyes is being relegated to, you know, just an HBO Max series. Like this is a really important character that deserves the big screen treatment. Like this is one of, if this is like one of DC's biggest uh, Latinx superheroes. And why is that not getting the big screen treatment? It's, it's very, very hurtful. Um, Very disappointing. Uh, so I, I totally agree. And if you if you have good source material, people, if it's like the field of dreams thing. If you build it, they will come. I mean, look what the MCU is able to do, not only with Guardians of the Galaxy. Dave, they made a freaking movie about ants. They made us care about a freaking ant named Antony. We cried when Antony died. Like, you can do it. If you build a good enough story, a good enough script... The most compelling character uh, outside of, you know, maybe Anthony is Luis uh, in that film. And he's just like a side character. Like if you build a good enough story, it doesn't matter who you're telling, who who are the people behind it. If you tell quality stories, people will love it. You know, talking about Doom Patrol, I right away had to think about Grant Morrison's run on that and how much of that has inspired um that television series and then you know there's another very defining morrison run on animal man and how much fun it would be to see morrison's take on animal man on the big screen and how unique how unique that would be for for a live action movie like that kind of thing would find an audience um or even thinking about something like dial h for hero Ah, there's such a good such a good movie in Dial H for Hero. What a cool little concept. But, you know, Warner, man, they just won't touch it. All right, Chris, what is your second hope for the future of the DCEU? Well, and one of the things I think we're so excited about Marvel's What If is it seems like a really promising animated series from Marvel and something that they have, I mean, completely, unbiasedly, DC wins the animated universe. I mean, overall. And especially since... You know, something like uh, Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes went off the air. Like, it's not even been close. So the one thing that DC has clearly dominated in is the animated universe. How in the world, whoever the creative people are behind that, get them to come to the live action. Because there's no reason that you should have such a clear and distinct and present advantage uh, over Marvel in the animated universe and then still be lagging behind decidedly in the uh, in the live action series. Like, so I don't know if, if uh, you know, it's the animated team, but I, I mean, this goes all the way back, Dave, to like in the animated series. This goes back to the original Justice League cartoon, Justice League Unlimited. Everything that I have seen from DC animation has been awesome, with the exception of that one weird scene where... Uh, Batman and and uh, Batgirl are getting it on. That's... That didn't happen. That didn't. That didn't. Happen, Chris. That didn't happen. <laughs> I mean, that's the only stark one that stands out in my mind, and that's just a clip that I saw on Twitter. I didn't. I didn't view that myself. So that I'll 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 chalk that up to hearsay. But you have got to find a way, and maybe that's leaning into my previous point, bringing those people that were writing those series. Bring them on. I think the thing that stands out to me, and these series still hold up. I'm watching, I'm rewatching the original Justice League again, and it's so damn good. Is they have clear storylines that are told with clear and well defined characters. That I mean, even in the initial episodes, like they don't go through this whole like origin story thing. You know who Superman is. You don't need to see the baby coming from space again. Just we all know who Superman is and we live in the day and age where we can do a quick Wikipedia deep dive. Like I can quick look up like, Oh, what's green lantern story. What's John Stewart's story. Like it doesn't require a whole lot. So find a way to capture the magic that you're working with. You are wielding the Zatanna magic 
That's 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 a good DC reference, right? From the animated universe and figure out how to translate that on screen. I have I have I have a few things to say there. First of all, you're exactly right. The DC animated side has been spot on, and there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, the people that did the uh, animated series back then, Batman the animated series, Justice League, and all that, they told in in many cases their own stories. They were not adapting comic books directly, but at the same time, they illustrated a huge understanding of the heart and soul of those characters. And that is why so many of those stories are today considered to be so good and so iconic, because they captured the characters and were able to tell stories that felt true to those characters. Now, the more modern animated movies take kind of a different approach, which is, I think, also valid. They pick some of the best comic book storylines and adapt them into animation. And that's when we get, like, most recently something like uh, Batman The Long Halloween, which is a very, very good uh, graphic novel. Very, very good. Uh, Once again, Jeff Loeb, believe it or not, but he was pretty good back then. Who'd have thunk it? (laughs) Yeah, he 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 was pretty good back then. So, you know, there are different approaches you can take. I think the key remains that you just have to stay true to the characters. And yeah, you're right. Why do we need origin stories over and over again? You know, I absolutely adore All-Star Superman by Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly. It's one of my all-time favorite books. And they summarize uh, Superman's origin in four panels. And that's all it needs. One page, four panels. There's the origin. Doomed planet. Desperate scientists, last hope, kindly couple. And the next page is a full uh, a splash page of Superman flying. Boom, done. Do you need more these days? I would say not. Just tell a Superman story. You know, that's the one thing that always drives me crazy about Snyder apologists when I say, hey, you know, his Superman wasn't very much like, you know, Superman. Well, you know, he was a f- doing a five uh, movie story arc that would lead to who Superman is from the comics. Like, you know, I don't give a crap. I don't want five movies of who Superman is not. I want one movie where Superman is Superman. Yeah, I, I Roy Wood Jr., a comedian that I follow, I think he said it best one time. He said, if I have to see Batman's daddy die one more time. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> uh, yeah. Dave, what is your third and final hope for the DCEU going forward? You know, there's really something weird happening. Um with DC adaptations that I've noticed in live action. And that is that many of them seem to take inspiration from basically sort of a post year 2000 era. Uh, Some of them even, I would say, uh, take direct inspiration from stuff like, you know, the new 52. I would say that uh, Justice League either cut Zack Snyder's or uh, Joss Whedon's really feels in a lot of ways like the opening arc of you guessed it, Jeff Johns' Justice League book uh, that came out at the beginning of the New 52. So there's a lot of um, stuff being looked at for inspiration that is extremely recent, um, and that troubles me. For example, uh, the Flash movie. The Flash movie seems to, from you know the rumors and set pictures and the stuff that we've heard and casting and everything, it seems to be taken inspiration from the storyline Flashpoint, uh, another Jeff Johns gem, if you will. Um, and again, that's not anywhere near the best Flash story that has been published in comic books in the last 20, 30 years even. You know, if you want a good Flash story, why can't I get something like Born to Run? Why can't I get something like Terminal Velocity or the the Rogue War? You know, I mean, there are really, really good things that have been published before the year 2000, that have been published before the New 52, that have been published before Jeff Johns. Why can't we take inspiration from that? Why can't I have a Wonder Woman movie inspired by Greg Rucka's run, where she's an ambassador? Uh, it was absolutely a fascinating setup for that character. Why can't we see something like that? Why can't I see a Flash story that is not uh, something like Flashpoint, which, again, requires two Batmen for crying out loud? You know, why can't we see things that take inspiration from stories further back, even something like Shazam, as much as I liked it, it's not really 
the original Captain Marvel character. Yes, Captain Marvel owned by DC, the other Captain Marvel. <laughs> um, it's it's really much more closely inspired by, you guessed it, Jeff Johns' run on the character in the New 52 era. Like, why can't we look to the past a little bit? Just because something is old doesn't mean it's not good. So why can't we look backwards a little further for inspiration? Why does it have to be a recent comic book storyline when oftentimes the much better stuff can be found further back in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s? Look to those things for inspiration and get off of Jeff Johns. He is not the only good writer at DC. It's arguable that a lot of his output, especially in the last few years, has not been that good. Flashpoint is so-so at best, and I would say it's not even a very good Flash story because it doesn't focus enough on the Flash himself. And don't get me started on the three Jokers, his most recent thing. It was not good. So why can't we go back further and look at some better stories? What do you think, Chris? Yeah, so I can't say that I have this depth, uh, this deep wealth of knowledge when it comes to DC's publications. But what I can tell you is this sounds a lot like a yes, uh, a bunch of yes men surrounding Jeff Johns. And when you are living in this echo chamber and you only have one creative voice and putting all that forward, I mean, like sometimes you'll have success like you do with Shazam. I love that film. Um, but a lot of times it, it gets monotonous and and it becomes a lot uh, a lot of the same and, and not in a good sense and in in a point that I'll bring up in just a second. But I mean, you know, sometimes revisiting old comics is not a good thing. But I think you should revisit things that are widely regarded and have well, uh, you know, as being well received and very popular. And it's something even as a casual consumer of DC content. I know how polarizing the entire New 52 line was. So why in the world would you pull that as the only source material? So, you know, even from an outsider's perspective, I know that not everybody loves the New 52. Why would that be the only source of inspiration? Yeah, it's a very regrettable choice, Chris. All right, that brings us to your final hope for the future of the DCEU. What have you got? So this is not solely a DC thing uh, per se, but it is, uh, you know, the company that gives me the most content like this. There is a show that I really, really want to be into. I, I really want to watch Titans, but I can't. I just can't, Dave. It is so much uh, of what has plagued so much DC content for so for so so long and and marvel to be completely keep it 100 as the kiddies say marvel has done this too i'm so tired of grit for grit's sake i mean christopher nolan makes a batman trilogy and then all of a sudden every street level superhero has to be this dark gritty stormy night type storytelling for god's sake it's like somebody got the sepia tone the sepia tone like Instagram filter and it's locked on that. And we can't jump. We have to stop. We have to stop the grit for grit's sake. So I keep trying because uh, everything that I've seen out of, uh, you know, clips and images of Anna Diop Starfire in particular, I'm dying to see that character and maybe I'll have to muscle through it. But geez, Louise, every time I try to give, uh, Titans another chance. It's another F-bomb just to say F-bomb and look how naughty we are and look at the testosterone and the endorphins and the hormones just flying around here and we're super grounded. Don't you get it? We're gritty. Do you understand? I mean, like if I wanted instant grits, honey, I'd go to the grocery store and get a big box of Quaker. Uh, you know, so I get it. It's gritty, but please give me something besides grit. The blessing and curse of DC live-action adaptations was probably Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. The success of that trilogy set something in motion in DC live-action movies, <clears throat> where Warner believed that every DC live-action movie needed to be the Dark Knight. Everything needed to be grounded in quote-unquote reality in some way. And that approach, to me, is in a lot of ways what killed Man of Steel because it was so trying to be realistic that it completely ignored how absolutely fantastical 
a character like Superman can be and how whimsical a character like Superman can be. So although I love the Dark Knight trilogy, this notion that every character needs the Batman approach is absolutely incorrect. And I'm glad that we've already seen indications that the DCEU creatives understand that. Shazam was definitely not a Batman-style tone. Aquaman was definitely not a Batman-style tone. But you're right, this dark, um, gritty, quote-unquote grounded in reality approach that the DCEU has taken for some of its movies is not the right fit for some of its characters. And I think that, above all, is what they have to understand. Each character requires his or her own atmosphere, his or her own world to inhabit, for lack of a better term, and his or her own tone. Wonder Woman is not Batman. The Flash is not Batman. Or Peter Parker, for that matter. (laughs) Look, we just need to let these characters be these characters and stop trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. It's like, I don't know about you, Dave, but I was I was big into coloring books. I loved coloring when I was a kid. And it's like when you go to a restaurant and they give you like two crayons and you only have two crayons to color with. That's what it feels like a lot of these adaptations are, except we only get like the brown and the gray crayons. It also reminds me of this episode of The Office, which you haven't watched yet, but you will. Mark my words. There's there's a season five episode of The Office where Jim and Dwight, two guys, two just men, are in charge of the party planning committee because there's been too much infighting amongst the women in the office. So they are forced to plan a birthday party for the most flamboyantly feminine individual in the office, Kelly. Uh, So these two guys have to plan the party and they decorate by putting up a sign that says, it is your birthday. Not happy birthday, just says it is your birthday. And they decorate with black, gray, and brown balloons. And that's what a lot of these DCEU films and and shows look like. It's just, oh, it's a dark, stormy alleyway. I think I've seen this before. And I said, like I said, a lot of those MCU Netflix shows did the same thing. As much as I love Daredevil, I saw a lot of that stuff in there. Iron Fist, let's not even talk about that. Um, but yeah, so, so Marvel TV shows are guilty of it too, but guess who was behind that? That was Jeff Loeb. You know, to get back to your coloring book analogy, um, this actually, I would take it a step further. I think this reminds me more of when you buy a Star Wars coloring book and one of the pages is a full body shot of a stormtrooper. <laughs> there's, there's really not going to be any color. It's so, just not going to happen. In, in true stormtrooper fashion, you're going to miss the mark there. Absolutely. I'm going to color outside the lines. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Those are our big hopes for the DCEU going forward. What do you want to say? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Uh, Be sure to hit us up on social media. Again, that's at NerdByWord on Twitter and Instagram or ThatNerdDave and ThatNerdChris, respectively, on both platforms. But after this, it's time for dessert, folks. That's right. Nerd commendations after this, our final break. All right, we're back for everybody's favorite segment. That's right, it's... Nerd Commendations. All right, Dave, I saw this one coming from a mile away. It sounds like you've got some time to watch some stuff. Yeah, I actually have started watching some Netflix while I'm working out in the mornings before I go to work. Are are you a sad are you a sad boy and there's too many strong female protagonists and wah? No, I'm not a sad boy. <laughs> As it turns out, I finally sat down and watched uh, five episodes, the first half of the season of Masters of the Universe Revelation, and I'm here to tell you is good, and I am here to nerd commend it. So, of course, for uh, those of our listeners who are not familiar, Masters of the Universe Revelation is an animated superhero fantasy cartoon uh, that is a direct continuation of the original He-Man and the Masters of the Universe cartoon by Filmation that was released from 1983 to 1985. Uh, The new sequel continuation, Masters of the Universe Revelation, is notable for A, 
being developed and produced by Kevin Smith, uh, who is like the last person you would think would do something that is a serious fantasy, basically, considering he's more well known for his uh, comedies and also for having a very, very good um, voice cast, including, I mean, how can you go wrong with Mark Hamill, who is the villain Skeletor, uh, Chris Wood as uh, Prince Adam and He-Man, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Buffy herself as Tila, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. There are so many interesting people that show up, including Batman himself, Kevin Conroy, in a brief cameo of a character who regrettably doesn't make it. So uh, I actually love the animation of this. I was a big fan of the original Masters of the Universe cartoon when I was a kid. Um, it was sort of right in my wheelhouse, even though uh, going back, I understand it doesn't hold up as well as all that. A lot of the animation is reused assets. Uh, the action isn't all that. And of course, it was really an extended commercial for selling toys. However, there is something deeply charming about this universe, pun intended, uh, that was created by Mattel back in the day. And as such, I still love these characters. And Masters of the Universe Revelation somehow manages to pick up on the original series and spin it into something a little more modern, a little more contemporary, and a little more serious with actual real stakes where characters die. You know, characters don't make it. And the world changes and there are consequences to the stories. Uh, now, there have been some very... Um, how can I put this nicely? Um silly individuals who uh, are angry uh, that the main character He-Man doesn't feature quite as strongly in this first half and have taken to review bombing the series. And to that I say, get over it. Uh, the animation is good. The writing is good. The characters are interesting. I love He-Man as well. I have high hopes that in the second half of the season we'll see a little bit more of him. But everything about this cartoon uh, gave me classic Masters of the Universe vibes. I adore it. Cannot wait for the second half. This is highly recommended, especially if you watch the original cartoon and you would be interested in seeing what a more modern take on it would look like. Uh, Dave, so I, I fired this up and got about 15 minutes in and I enjoyed what I saw. Um, my only concern is I have absolutely, as I've documented on the show before, I have no frame of reference. I have not seen a single second of the original series. Do you think this is new viewer friendly? That one's tough. Um, I think uh, a quick Google search will probably give you uh, most of what you need as far as background goes on who these characters are and how it functions. It's not overly complicated. It's very much... Um, a superhero story with a dual identity using magic more so than superpowers. Um, but sort of the basic gist is very similar to something like your, your standard uh, superhero story blended with sort of a fantasy setting. Um, I think new viewer friendly, probably not. Uh, but I think you can be a fairly well-informed viewer just by doing a quick Google search and reading up a little bit about uh, the characters. I would not recommend necessarily going back to the original cartoon unless you have some really deep-seated um, nostalgia for it. There was a 2003 remake uh, of the show that lasted, I think, only 26 episodes, but it was also not half bad. Uh, had a little bit more modern sensibilities and this does a good job explaining the characters as well. Um, so that might be a better starting point if you are so inclined to explore these characters a little more. The other big overwhelming thing that I saw, at least in uh, you know reviews on social media, was massive acclaim for Lena Headey's Evil Lynn um, and thought that, that she was a much more compelling character even than Skeletor. Are you of the same opinion there? Absolutely. But I always was interested in Evelyn as a character. It was always an interesting character, even in the much maligned uh, Masters of the Universe live action movie with Dolph Lundgren. I thought Evelyn was a absolutely fantastic character. So again, seeing some of these characters get in a more modern spin, a little bit more of a spotlight, a lot of characters get to shine here in a new and, and, and sometimes even better way than they ever got to uh, be seen in the original cartoon so yeah i think this is this works fabulously i think i'm gonna have to take the dive because uh lena Headey in particular is just someone that i ad adore all of her work i mean 
as far as Game of Thrones, I hate Cersei Lannister, but damn it, she was so good at being that character that you just love to hate. Uh, and she's incredibly talented. She was fantastic in Gunpowder Milkshake. She's great in 300. Uh, so I'm I'm ready to take the dive, I think. Yeah, I don't think you'll regret it. And it's not a, you know, a long view. It's like five half-hour episodes. Uh, you're basically investing the same amount of time as you would for a Star Wars movie. All right, Chris, so what are you nerd commending this week to us? So I am slowly but surely churning my way through a com- comprehensive Al Ewing read-through at Marvel. And Dave, I'm telling you, this guy, he's got the chops. He's hes quickly becoming my favorite comic book writer, period. Um, and so today I am nerd-commending his first volume of The Ultimates. Not to be confused with the Ultimate Universe title. I'm talking about the 616 proper The Ultimates. Uh, written by Al Ewing, of course, and illustrated. Oh my God, Dave, this is so freaking beautiful. The art put forth by Kenneth Rocafor is just, it's like this masterpiece of like, it, it looks like it's painted almost. It's just absolutely gorgeous art. And it, 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 uh, it features a roster of characters that I just love. And I see them being featured not near enough. Uh, it's got your girl, uh, Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers. It's got America Chavez. It's got my boo, Monica Rambo, Blue Marvel, who is one of the most criminally underrepresented characters. Uh, it's got T'Challa, the Black Panther. Um, I, I just love this roster, and it's just this, it's superheroing at its best. Um, I mean, the, the cosmic threats to like the space time continuum like as a whole they take on the biggest threats i mean the immediately in the first issue they're taking on galactus and they're solving problems with like it's like a pretty hard sci-fi type book it is so it's really giving like star trek vibes maybe even like a deep space nine type vibes of like these characters using their smarts alongside their power set to solve these huge galactic pun intended issues uh, of Galactus. They're facing off against Thanos and they're going toe to toe with like the biggest threats in the Marvel universe. But it's like in this underappreciated kind of underrated title, like the ultimates. Now he will go on to write the ultimates too, that I have not gotten into yet, but I absolutely love everything about this title. The character work is pitch perfect t'challa is t'challa at his best so i think i remember you saying that you were a little bit underwhelmed as much as you enjoyed Tanahasi coats you wanted more t'challa this is t'challa being his kingly stately genius level smarter than reed richard's best um this also is a great feature for blue marvel as one of the geniuses of uh, the Marvel Universe, Monica Rambo in probably one of the best iterations of the character, just being super OP and just amazing. America Chavez is a little bit underserved in my opinion here, but like you can still see that there's something burgeoning there and you want to come back for more um, enough to tease you to keep reading in the series. Um, and then, you know, it, 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 I was a little bit nervous to be to to be completely honest because this runs right up with something that I did not recommend in a recent episode and the worst books we've ever read. This this runs right up to Civil War Two and there are Civil War Two tie-in issues. Like oh god, here we go. But it's done well. I like what they uh, like what he does. I mean, but it's Al. It's Al Ewing at his best. So. I am nerd commending the ultimates for those real big cosmic, super weird. Uh, you like Morrison, you're going to like this. Those super weird sci fi type comic books, superheroing at its best. So, the ultimates, the, the first volume by Al Ewing and Kenneth Rocafor is just a beautiful comic book, and I absolutely love it and could not nerd commend it enough. And I'm ready for volume two. Yeah, you know, I'm sold. This sounds fantastic. I'm absolutely about these characters. I definitely want to read this. Um, and and the way you sold it as sort of this big epic sci-fi thing, this is exactly up my alley, Chris. Yeah, so it, it's just a whole lot of fun, and uh, you're definitely not going to be disappointed here. And cheers to Al Ewing, who is just continue 
nailing it, hitting it out of the park. Everything that he writes, uh, sword. I'm ready to jump on his Guardians of the Galaxy. I've heard nothing but rave reviews about that. The dude is just killing it. Oh yeah, he wrote this also thing called the Immortal Hulk. I, you maybe you've heard of it. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks for riding along with us uh, on another episode of the Nerd by Word podcast. If you like what you hear, be sure to give us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Amazon, uh, or nerdbyword.com. And of course, if you'd like to uh, get in contact with us, there's always social media. We are both individually on Twitter at that nerd Chris and on Instagram at that nerd Chris, and of course, both of those at that nerd Dave. And you can also get our show's account uh, at nerd by word. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. Maybe you have some suggestions for how we can draw in more listeners or some topics you would like us to tackle. Um, and as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.